Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up? Is Tarleton the best program in Texas right now? I mean, I think that they're clearly the best team playing in America right now because there is <laughs> there's one FBS team playing, right, with all the 85 scholarships and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and guess what? Tarleton beat that ass. Yep. It, it wasn't even close. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was – I'll tell you what, that was – I know that New Mexico State, their coach kind of come in and said, yeah, we're not going to take it too seriously. Yeah, we probably won't play our backups too much. But I don't think he had that in mind. That's that's not I mean, I'll tell you what, when when power five teams play against a group of five teams, guess what? They also don't do play their starters very much. Right. And as I mentioned, uh, you've got 20 more scholarships to work with. And this is what you got. Mm-hmm. I mean, look. Again, I don't care what context Doug Martin wants to try try and throw on this. Tarleton beat that ass. It, it was, was great. It was crazy. It I can't great. believe it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Cameron Burson looked <clears throat> looked great. Um, I believe what was the receiver's name? Uh, Gabe Douglas. Gabe Douglas had an incredible game. Like, yeah, I don't know. This is the second week in a row where Tarleton's look hasn't looked like a program. That's coming up from D2, right? Like they've just stepped right in and competed right away and obviously won this one. Um, We can talk about the state of New Mexico State at another another time, but um, that's a program in an opposite direction, right? They're moving down and Tarleton's on its way up. And I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell. (laughs) Hey, UTEP, you better beat them next year. Let's go state team next year. Or we are out. We are done. Yeah, Yeah, that's bad. And again, New Mexico State's been a program on the downswing for a while, which is, you know, partially why they've dropped down. But there's still, like you said, there's still a program that has the, that had the, the facilities and the um, scholarship numbers and things sure. like that of, a FB, of an FBS team, an FBS program. Like, I don't know. Like, we, I think everybody saw that viral video of last week of um, the Tarleton defensive tackle, right? Going up against McNeese and getting bullied because he's, you sure. know, he's only like 230 or whatever. Um, but, what they didn't probably didn't see, you know, the majority of people at least didn't see was them coming back and almost winning that game. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is, you know, it, it is a team that is transitioning. So of course you're going to have moments like that, where you have a 230 pound defensive lineman. Um, but like, this, you know, that, it, that only matters so much, right? If you're, if you're, if you have guys who are just plainly skillful and talented sure. and are coached well, and that's what I think that's what we've seen so, so far in two weeks. Yeah, and the other thing, too, uh, is that not to make this too much about one individual player, but, you know, what people didn't see after that is that he had a great game after that. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's an adjustment, right? It's mm-hmm. an adjustment uh, jumping up and all of a sudden playing against linemen who are close to 300, obviously. But, right. uh, but you know, I mean, they rolled with the punches. They adjusted. And, and you know, and, and I guess just to jump into it at large. So Charlton, obviously transitioning up to division one this year this is their first year as a as sort of a pseudo fcs independent program and they actually will i guess i guess it'll be their only <laughs> their only season as an independent as they do move up to the WAC next year 
So through these first two games, though, I, I mean, I think that you can make the argument that Charleston's kind of been the story of, mm-hmm. uh, of small college football so far this spring. Yeah. I mean, can you name, can you think of any other program that's really stepped to the forefront? Like, no, I- as far as like, uh, hype and then I guess the exposure helps too, right? You were able to see them on TV. Um, but they're really taking advantage of like being kind of the spotlight, right? Yeah. And, you know, you kind of look around the, the country. I mean, there were a couple of really good games. I think that it was at Northern Iowa, I think had a big win last week, you know, so like, I think that there has been some extra attention paid to the FCS schedule so far this spring, but I think that, you know, for a lot of people nationally, Charleston wasn't a team that was ever on their radar, right? Even people who right. were pretty engaged. Um, and, and I think that at least through two weeks and after this, I mean, I, I will say, you know, they don't have as interesting a schedule after this, right? They do play Dixie State, who's a fellow transitioning mm-hmm. team twice. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mix of transitioning teams and division twos after this, right? So this was, this was kind of their, their big start. So I do think, though, that through two games, you are already seeing why Tarleton State wanted to move up, what the advantages mm-hmm. are. Because I'll tell you what, Tarleton State has been a good team the past couple of years. They, they obviously, you know, back-to-back undefeated Lone Star Conference titles, but nothing has made the kind of national imprint of, for just the brand of the university and the brand of the football program more than these first two games, I'd argue. Right. And it makes you wonder, <clears throat> I am curious about like, you know, whether that, what, weighs into that more whether it's the the jump to fcs or the spring aspect to it um maybe just hand in hand maybe this doesn't happen if they're d2 regardless right um and it kind of brings me to i think this was your article this week for hot takes right or last week i think it was for this it's week, like yeah yeah where it talks where we talked you talked about the future of d2 football and how tarleton's like showing these other programs like west texas and you know and commerce and midwestern where it's like hey, we've played two games <laughs> and we're already getting more hype than we've ever had, right? We, they had, a, they had a, a, a national title caliber team a couple years ago and they did not receive the same hype that they're receiving now. <laughs> right, and yeah, if you are, I, and I wrote this a bit in my, in my piece on textfootball.com and, and we also did a segment for Text Football today, but sort of the crux of my argument was that I kind of think that if you are Texas A&M Commerce, if you are... Uh, West Texas A&M, if you're Angelo State, you know, those three programs, especially, I mean, you throw obviously the other programs too, but, but those three programs, especially are very proud. They mm-hmm. do not want to take a backseat to anybody. You kind of saw it actually with the, especially with West Texas A&M being like, we don't give a damn what anybody else in this conference is doing. We're playing fall football and we will ignore all of you. Right. That's, yeah. that's kind of been the MO for, for those programs and A&M Commerce, the flip side saying, we don't need any of you. We're going to wait to play until next fall, right? Like mm-hmm. they've, they've gone by the beat of their own drum. And for those programs, obviously a program in AM Commerce who just beat Charlton last year and loves posting the screenshot of, of, the, of the, uh, the, the scoreboard, you know, which is something that we see whenever we post anything about Charlton. Uh, you have to look at this, right? And, and you have to think, wait a minute, this was just our peer. This was just a school that we were just at the same level at, if not beating, right? And now all of a sudden they get this disparate level of national attention because they've moved up to division one. If you're AM Commerce, 
You don't like that. <laughs> if you're West Texas A&M, right. you don't like that. You want a piece of that. And so I'm curious to see over the next, again, this is not a two-year thing, right? This is over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Do these schools that really want to take this sport seriously, that really want to build up their name, that wants to become that kind of national name, do they start taking the, the process of moving up to Division One more seriously? And on the flip side, does that kind of bring, at least in the state, a reckoning on Division Two football where, you know, you have Division One where you're getting this national attention, you, you have Division Three where it's non-scholarship, so it's really only pluses for your, your program, what you're putting into it, versus having to pay, obviously, the scholarship money for Division Two. Does it create this kind of, uh, of separation, I guess, where the schools that really want to take it seriously move up to division one and try to get national attention. And the teams that realize that they can't decide that maybe we're just going to try to win in division three. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. And I think the, the program that I'm really curious about, you know, we mentioned commerce and we mentioned uh, West Texas is, is Midwestern state. Sure. Cause like they're, they arguably have the best facilities uh, out of these pro out of these D2 programs. And they're also in the best location, right? They're in Wichita mm -hmm. falls, like the biggest city by far. And so you know, what, what Tarleton's also showing is that location does not really matter when it comes to, right, you don't need to be in this big city to make this type of ambitious jump, right? They're in Stephenville. Um, so it does give, you know, a, a kind of, and, and we know this from the Southland too, right? We see programs in Huntsville, we see programs, you know, not everybody's in the big cities. And, but it, re it really makes me curious about Midwestern State because it always seems like yes, as far as on-field success, they've been overshadowed by Commerce and Tarleton recently, but they're a program who has good amount, a good amount of funding in a good location city. And it makes you wonder about their ambition as far as exposure goes, because that, if I feel like that's a program, if it hits, it'll hit like really, really hit. Right. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned them, you know, they kind of shore up a bit of their finances by joining the Texas tech system very recently. Mm. And I think that that's going to be something that one helps them maybe feel a little better about maintaining. Cause I do think that, uh, you know, this is a program that over the past couple of years has had some major money issues that hasn't, mm -hmm. you know, necessarily been able to spend the way that other programs have. And, you know, does this help shore them up? Does this make them kind of say, we're happy where we are? Or does this make them say, like you said, I, I mean, we want more. And I'm also the secure, maybe we have the security to go for more. Right. Well, and I'm really curious, actually, too, about UT Permian Basin, because, mm -hmm. because this is a program that is brand new. Right. This is last. I mean, this was their first graduating class, I guess. Right. They're, so they're only four or five years old, but they've already put a decent amount into facilities. They've already got, you know, a great weight room. They've already got great, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. They've got the support staff. Uh, they're very early in their process. And so, you know, if you see some of these top end schools looking northward, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that they want to look southward. Right. I don't think they want to give up right now after all they've kind of put into this. So it's going to be a really interesting game. And one thing that I've heard a lot from people is that obviously previously uh, during the 2010, 2012, all of those, the realignment came from the top and everybody from the bottom scrambled. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the teams that were at the top already, it didn't really matter to them. Right. Like it, it was more of just sort of, shifting from one good situation to another, right? Texas A&M, if they'd stayed in the Big 12, they'd be perfectly fine. As the SEC is a great situation for them, so they had an opportunity to get a little better. And 
you know, I, I think that then on the flip side, you look at the teams that were most affected. And obviously you look at the Western Athletic Conference going from, you know, being what it was to not even sponsoring football. It was those teams at the bottom that really, really got screwed, like mm. really got screwed. Um, you, you know, you obviously even count a school like a, like Houston, they got left out, right? Like they really got screwed during that last realignment. And I think now we're already seeing it. It's these teams at the bottom that want to find solid ground. And uh, and I think that the COVID-19 pandemic obviously only adds to that as each of these programs tries to figure out not just the existence of their football program, but the existence of their university long-term. So there's going to be a lot of dynamics. Again, I, th- I think that this is going to come to a head in the next five years or so, especially with these Division II programs, as I think the WAC looks to expand. I think as the Southland Conference looks to expand, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, the Southland's the big, the big one to watch, obviously, because they're going to be looking to replace all those programs that left. Yes, no question about it. So it, it'll be it'll be fun. But I think that if you're Tarleton right now, this is all you could have hoped for. Oh, right? my God, seriously. <laughs> right. And so uh, let's go ahead and take a step back and move out a little bit. So Tarleton is the only Division One program at this point in Texas that has played uh, because we've just had, oh, my gosh, the, the most insane <laughs> rash of cancellations and postponements and everything Uh Obviously, you know, because we had a generational winter storm come through. Uh, Obviously, the pandemic is still going on. I'll tell you what, there are a number of once in a generation issues that seem to happen every like three years now. Yeah, you know what? I'm kind of tired of being in history books. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think I'm good. Like those. Oh, those. Uh, I don't know if you saw that TikTok of that history teacher right trying to trying to own his students or whatever in middle school so it it got me thinking so it was for those of you that don't know it was a tiktok of a history teacher asking his students about what was it like who hitler was or who someone so one first of all it was obvious those kids were messing with him at some point um because they he asked them like who somebody was and they were like is that a rapper or something and like it was obviously kidding but the one that i think was genuinely real was he asked do you know what d-day was right and First of all, you're a history teacher, so you should be telling them what D-Day is. <laughs> Second of all, they're like 10, or, no, not 10. They're like 11, 12. Right. And they were born in like 2010. Right. Of course, they don't know what D-Day is because they've lived through like 70 historic events that would like <laughs> rival D-Day if it happened then. <laughs> like, it's it's wild to me. Like, one, I didn't know what D-Day was until like, you know, around that age anyway. So like, I don't care. Like the, the beaches of Normandy isn't like vital right. information to every, to every little kid born. Right. And I, and I certainly didn't understand why it mattered at that point. Right. And so it's like, you know, okay, we'll teach them about that later. But anyway, that goes to show that there have been way too many historic mo- historical moments and I would love when I'm when I'm older to talk to a kid born in like 2020 to see what they're learning about what happened like the last 30 years basically I, I've always said starting in like 2015 I'd love to study this a hundred years from now right but, uh, but the the now of it just not the most fun really not the most fun you know because because like you said it's a once in a generation type of snowstorm except for the one that happened 10 years ago like this is right. this sucks yeah, I, when, we're all, when florida's out. when florida's where antarctica is and you know when california's <laughs> broken off to drift in the pacific because of an earthquake like i can't wait to look back and be like hey remember when it snowed <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all that'll lead into say there's been a lot of Division Three games canceled. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but at this point, we have had 11 teams play so far. Okay, so uh, 
combination of again Charlton being the one uh the one division one team and actually the only team above division two to play and then we've got 10 teams that are either NAIA or our uh or our division three so just looking at sort of the landscape of what happened have there been any teams that in their I guess one or two games that have stood out to you so far uh hmm looking at it right now Trinity, sure. So far, uh, has been one. I believe they're two and zero. Um, and I think they had they had a weather cancellation last week. I believe, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, but they've been one to really come out and stand out to me. Uh, East Texas Baptist is off to a really good start too. Um, it's just unfortunate because I think those are the only two programs aside from Tarleton that have played two games. Uh, oh wait, no, sorry, Wayland Baptist and. That's it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just wait. Those three programs are the only teams to have played three games. Um, aside and from actually, Tarleton. I think, I think Wayland Baptist actually played one of their games in, or two of their games in the fall. That's right. Okay. So yeah, they got a weird deal. Te- only, only, aside from Tarleton, only two teams have played this uh, two games this spring. So yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. The, the team that I definitely have to point to is McMurray, right? McMurray. Oh yeah. Good one. Good one cutting their their losing streak after basically a year and a half it, it was uh what it was the it was only jordan neal's second season his first win mm-hmm. as a head coach uh you know which which obviously was extended because of the pandemic and so look it's it's always tough i think uh, when you're in a hole in division three because it's not just that your players aren't good enough at playing football right mm-hmm. like you're you're talking about people you know, not having the numbers, you're talking about people not staying with the team, you're talking about not having any upperclassmen, like, Division Three is hard. Oh <laughs> it's a God, really it's hard really game. There's, there's nothing uh, forcing, I mean, forcing is a bad word, but you know, like, there's nothing that a kid is, com- you're not, there's no real, like, tangible incentive. Right, right. Yeah. You're not, you're not committed to a scholarship. You're not getting your tuition paid for, right? You're this is just, like true for the love of the game stuff. <laughs> right, right. You know, everybody, everybody talks about that with, you know, if you're at freaking Alabama, like, no, right. that's not why they're there. They're there because right. they want to play in the NFL and get paid. Like in Division right. Three, this is on you, man. This is all yeah. you. It's like, hey, you can't, you, you can make it to the NFL, but it's very, very likely that you're not. Like, you know, <laughs> right. uh, Malcolm Butler's don't grow on trees, right? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Well, and I'm curious for you, uh, another question, obviously we have lost really the last two weeks of games because of the weather, but what, what do you think of that spring season so far? Do you think that people have been engaged or, or do you think that it's kind of just been a little bit of an afterthought? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit unfortunate that we've had, you know, obviously the winter storm kind of interrupt the scheduling because I feel like that first week was really interesting. Like that first week sure. was like, oh, there's there's football on. Like people, there were so many people that were like surprised or like just <laughs> forgot that they moved it to the spring. And so, so for a lot of people, it was uh, it was a very pleasant surprise to see football on ESPN Plus. And it was like, oh look, let's check this out or you know whatever channels they, whatever channels they were on. Um, so I'm, I'm again, I'm curious how this. I'm really curious about this weekend in particular because mm. that first weekend was so. I don't want to say huge, but like you know, it, it seemed like college football Twitter was just glued to Tarleton and McNeese, and that was a really cool thing to see. Um, and then everything, of course, got disrupted. And so I'm really curious how this week follows it up because are people going to you know just kind of forget again? Right? I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame them if they do. You know, a lot of people 
uh, were worried about their power and their water, understandably, for the past week. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if football is kind of put on the back burner now, or if they jump right back into it and say, "Okay, that you know that nightmare is over. Let, you know, here's some football. Let me take some my, my mind off of this." Right? Um, I'm 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 optimistic about it. I think I I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, buzz generated again from this, and I I hope so because. I'm really curious about what it does for the potential growth of the sport in the future. Sure. Because if you have this, you know, if you have division two FBS football getting a lot of hype in the spring, like, do you rethink some things? (laughs) (laughs) So here's one thing that I'll say is that I think that the one thing that's been maybe a little frustrating to me is I guess how difficult it can be to watch games Sure, sure. Uh, um, I, I think that, you know, FCS, I think, has gotten a lot of attention so far this year. And, and I think that, yes, it is because people see it as Division One football and that helps. Mm-hmm. But I do also think that it's, it was just like you said, so much easier to watch. Right. It was so much yeah. easier to find uh, the, the Tarleton game on ESPN Plus. Right. Like it's just different. And I think that uh, one of the other schools that put their game just streaming live on YouTube for free, Southwestern. Right. So I was able to watch more of that game as opposed to some of these others where maybe you have to subscribe to a network or something like that. I do think that, you know, that, that is tough, even for us, you know, I mean, we, we obviously cover everything, but a lot of it is, you know, when you are doing it kind of at this level and you're kind of doing it regionally, it is a lot of watching highlights and maybe reading recaps and, and looking at, mm-hmm. uh, at box scores and stuff like that. Right. It's just not quite the same. And so I almost, especially in the spring season where in division two and division three, you don't have a title. Right, you. I almost wish that they tried to make it a little easier. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I agree. Like, I remember when we were, uh, I think it was twenty seventeen when Tar- when uh, Commerce won the title. Mm-hmm. We were like, "What channel is this on again?" Like, <laughs> we're trying to figure <laughs> out what the title game was on, and we ended up finding it. Um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was on ESPN three or two. I think it might have been sure. online. Um, but see, I can't even remember. But like, it was just like, "Oh, what channel is this on?" Oh, right, this thing is on. Let's try to find it and. You know, we we're happy we did because we obviously saw a great game and great, you know, great moment for commerce. But yeah, you just kind of wish that, you know, you knew where. I don't want to say that I'm advocating for them to move to spring permanently, but it is nice for to know that they have the show to themselves, right? They have the spotlight and it's like, okay, this weekend I'm going to watch the Tarleton game, right? This weekend I'm going to watch the same Houston game and instead of like, you know, like you mentioned, kind of keeping up with it on a box score, maybe like having, you know, AM or, you know, UTSA on the big screen and kind of trying to find the other stream, you know, somewhere on YouTube or something. It's nice to be like, okay, let's, let's put, let's put Mary Harden Baylor, you know, if they put that they broadcast on, let's put Mary Harden Baylor on the big screen. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that ESPN plus from that perspective has been really great for that because mm-hmm you do kind of, at least with the FCS games, you're getting most of the FCS games on ESPN Plus these days. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I don't know what it costs for ESPN to put one of those things in, but, you know, I would be curious for Division Two or Division Three if that's something that they feel like down the road would be possible and, and profitable. You know, you just don't know. Um, yeah, I, I do think that, uh, I, I do think that they brought it up, I believe, on Split Zone Zoo the other day, another great podcast that you should check out. Um, you know, the Mac is kind of starting to not want to be that sort of weeknight league, right? Like Mm -hmm. sort of the, okay, well, we're going to go on because otherwise nobody will watch our games, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. trying to move away from that a little bit. 
I'm not saying that any individual conference should have to kind of take the brunt of that because I mm. think it's it's a very tough situation if you're like an actual fan of those teams, right? Like you are you are selling out for the TV dollars when you're saying we're going to put the Ball State game on Tuesday night. Like you just are. Right. But, you know, is it something that uh, that the FCS and, and obviously even D2 and D3 should think about? Because I'll tell you what, I mean, just for me, I, I obviously, you know, we're not, I would say the normal sports fans by any means, but I don't feel any more connection to Eastern Michigan than I would to, you know, to UT Permian Basin, right? Like right. it doesn't really matter to me which game is on on Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Like I think that people just watch it because it's fun and it's football, right? And so yeah. I'd be curious if uh, if either FCS or Division Two or Division Three, obviously, does sort of come and say we are willing to fill that gap. You know, we are willing to to play at weird hours, not all the time, right? Like I think sure. you want to have those Saturdays and get to enjoy yourself most of the time, but you know, we, we will flex you one game a week, maybe, I don't know. And, uh, yeah. and put it at a weird time to kind of get in front of eyes. Yeah, no, the, the Tuesday night action. And I think it was Thursday night Sunbelt or fun belt, uh, were like two things that people looked forward to. Right. And it was like, Oh, we get, you know, we get the central Michigan Buffalo game. And it's like, it was always <laughs> like weird. Cause it was on a Tuesday. And so right. like, it'd be kind of cold in the fall and the winter. And so like, it'd be like weird things would go on. And again, like the spotlight is on you and everybody's watching cause they want something to watch on Tuesdays. And so that week, that's an interesting point. That weekday slot or weeknight slot is like underratedly valuable sure because it, it it seems like shovelware right it seems like yeah sure it puts you know espn's looking for programming but like there is a niche fan base and a niche appeal to what that generates right we you know maction became a thing because of tuesday nights fun belt became a thing because of thursday nights and like there is something to be said about you know what if the lone star conference put something there what if what if the 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 future wax said yeah sure we'll get tuesday nights right yeah, you can call it waxing. It's right there already. Easy <laughs> <Be> money. <laughs> well, and just just to kind of close out, um, close out the small college talk. Uh, one thing that I think is going to make a big difference too is that you know in Division One you get the opportunity to play non-conference games against against big-time teams, right? Mm-hmm. At some point, Charlton's going to play Texas A&M, and they're gonna get killed and whatever. I mean, that's just part of the game, right? But like, right. I think that that helps give people a reference for what a program is more than almost anything, just those moments. Right. Because mm-hmm. I remember, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't think it's a secret. I didn't grow up a huge college football guy. Right. I became aware uh, in a big way of Sam Houston for the first time when they played against Baylor, when I was at Baylor in 2012. Right. And mm-hmm. they kind of, you know, they kind of kept it close for a little while. And I was yeah. like, okay, that's, you know, they got cool jerseys. They're kind of fun. Right. That was the first time that I kind of became aware of them. And same with the Abilene Christians of the world, same with the Lamars of the world. Uh, you know, that's just, I think one way that, that these kind of teams get a little bit more legitimacy and actually like not to turn this into too much else, but you know, I think that's one of the reasons, right? Like when you, when you look back at, you know, it was like 2013 or 14 when Baylor's schedule is incarnate word, mm-hmm. like it's, the the issue isn't you know yes you know it's that people haven't heard of it but it's it's really that you know this is just isn't a brand that people are familiar with right you know i think in two three four years uh you know after they've played a couple of these games nobody really says that anymore they're scheduling some of these games and just because of being there and being heard of i i think that that helps build their brand tremendously so 
Yeah, I, I think that especially when Charleston starts doing that, I, I think that you're going to see some of these teams like the A&M Commerces, like the, the West Texas A&Ms, like the Angelo States. I think that they're going to really look hard at this and uh, and think, man, it would be really cool if, uh, if you know, you get to play at West Texas A&M and you get to go play against the University of Texas. So for sure, it'll be fun to watch. But let's let's finish with one other topic. OK, so we've got a big time transfer heading from the Pac-12 to the state of Texas. Tyler Shug, one of the top quarterbacks on the transfer market, spurned Auburn, spurned Penn State, ended up picking Texas Tech and Lubbock. So that's a big addition, especially for a team that just lost Alan Bowman. I, I mean, I certainly didn't see that coming, did you? I did not at all. I think uh, when that came down the pipeline, I let out a very audible expletive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, like, again, Tyler Shuck is is – he didn't have that great of a year this year, right? He kind of, the people were kind of expecting him to make like some big leap, but he's, he was legitimately seen as a, as a interesting 2022 draft prospect uh, behind Sam Howell and um, um, uh, Keaton Slovis from USC. Um, he was kind of seen as that guy in the, in the wings making that next leap forward. Um, and I'm curious if he, the reason why I think that he didn't have that great of a year is I think the marriage at Oregon and that offense just wasn't exactly, it wasn't right. And I think we're seeing a lot with Justin Herbert right now, uh, kind of being as good as he is in the NFL. Like maybe there's something to that Oregon system. Sure. Um, I think he fits perfectly. <laughs> I, I, I think Sonny Cumbie working with him could be something really special. And all of a sudden tech becomes a lot more interesting of a team in 2021. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, he, he didn't have the year that maybe people expected, but I mean, he had a good year, right? He, yeah. he yeah. completed 63% of his passes. I think it was 16 touchdowns, seven interceptions, right? Like he was productive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they kind of, I think at times took the ball out of his hands a little bit uh, down at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they weren't a hundred percent on board with him, but I mean, one of the things I'll point to as well is that like he got kind of pulled even when he was playing pretty well. I, I think that they might just like the kid behind him a whole lot too. And mm-hmm. again, you know, Shug came on the market and I mentioned those, uh, those schools in Auburn and Penn state, like those are, those are schools that have quarterbacks on the roster that could start next year. Right. Like, but they still saw yeah. Shug as a guy who could potentially come in and do well. And it's interesting that you mentioned, right. I, I think that Oregon, obviously the last couple of years has gotten such a reputation because of the, the Chip Kelly era really for being an easy quarterback friendly place. I mean, yeah, I, I think that we are seeing right now that, Maybe Justin Herbert was good despite what they were doing over there. And I think that now you've got a situation where you've got this great, you know, dynamic pro style quarterback who, who can move all over the place too. I think that's going to be a really good fit for not just what Sonny Combi can do, but also kind of the, the mix between what Matt Wells has asked his quarterbacks to do the last couple of years, along with Sonny Combi. So I think that you're going to kind of get the best of both worlds. And, and again, I mean, I, I can't say enough. I mean, I think that, uh, that 247 put out a piece the other day ranking the top destinations for, for Tyler Shug. And I mean, it was obviously a lot of really good schools, you know, mm. it was the Nebraska's, it was the Penn State's, it was the Auburn's, you know, and, and for him to end up at Texas Tech for Matt Wells, even, you know, the way kind of, he's seen right now where all of a sudden you had this, the situation where you weren't even sure he was going to be back. The mm-hmm. fact that he's still able to make this pitch to kids, uh, you know, a kid who has three years of eligibility left, by the way, and Tyler Shug, I, I think that's huge. Oh yeah. I think, I think it's also like, I think it's the best case scenario for tech as far as 
you know, he, here's a guy who could leave after next year still, right? If he does explode, sure. right? If he does have an insane year and he comes onto the scene, it's like, okay, cool. He leaves for the NFL because it is a pretty down quarterback year. Or you get another year and guess who's waiting in the wings? Baron Morton's still there. Could have sure. a red shirt year next year and come in as, as a freshman again, like, or a sophomore, whenever, you know, whenever that happens. It It's such a perfect scenario because you have a guy who fits the system, right? He's not he's not insanely mobile. He can move a little bit, but he's a guy who has Alan, you know, we, we talked about Alan Bowman's arm. He has that arm strength. Um, he has a little bit, probably a little bit more accuracy and, and I'd say undoubtedly more poison the pocket. Um, and you have, and you have somebody who you could just say, Hey, Baron, look at that. Like just study him and you'll be good to go when you when you're ready to take over. Yeah, no question. I, I am curious from your perspective, uh, Texas Tech does have, multiple other scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is Maverick MacGyver, another mm-hmm. Donovan Smith. Do you think that this is Texas Tech giving up on on especially MacGyver, or do you think that this is just, this was too good to pass up? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think that, I feel like if they really believed MacGyver was the guy, they would have, we would have seen him a little more. Um, and I think that this is, they didn't want to, I don't want to say they, you know, teams do this all the time where they kind of politely show someone the door. They bring someone in and that kind of like, you know, hint, hint, <laughs> hint, hint, you know, it's probably not a, not the spot for you right now anymore. Um, and I feel like they didn't want to do that with MacGyver unless it was somebody like this, right? Unless sure. it was somebody who would come in and immediately compete for the starting job, not somebody who would just kick them down the death chart. Um, because we all kind of expect Baron Morton to may more or less be the second or third guy, right? Um, coming in with being a highly touted prospect. Um, and so I don't think they wanted to waste a transfer on a second or third guy. They wanted to bring in somebody who, you know, kicks the depth chart down from the top. And I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. With the quarterback issues they've had, the fact that we haven't seen MacGyver, you know, I feel like it's, it's something, right? It says something about what they think of it, maybe. Yeah, and I did forget to mention Henry Colombi is in fact back as well with potentially ah, yeah. multiple years re- uh, remaining. Which I mean, I mean, look, there's 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 probably your number two right now, right? If sure. you know, unless uh, they probably they might redshirt Baron or he might come in at number two. Who knows? But uh, there's your probably safe pick for number two, and then you got Baron Morton, and it's like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> right? Well, and and it is going to be interesting because uh, I mean, McIver was you know pretty highly touted coming out of school as well. I mean, he had some big time offers. He, he had USC in his back pocket and, uh, and decided to stay home. And so it is going to be interesting, I think, to see what, what kind of happens from here, because I mean, this, this is one of those things, right. Where if you kind of make the wrong decision in your quarterback room, just things can go wrong so quickly. Right. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. we've seen that obviously the last couple of years had a lot of places in Texas, right. Like you bring in one guy. I mean, even, even, I think that maybe you point a little bit to TCU where TCU had all these highly ranked kids, you bring in a kid in Max Duggan and you pick him. And, and I think that was the right choice, obviously, but right. all of a sudden you got to build your quarterback room from literally nothing. <laughs> you know, it just puts you in a really tough position. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, that was a good question. Cause like, you know, what came first, right? What did, did the idea of kind of thinning out the quarterback room come in first, or was it like, Hey, this guy wants to come here. Let's, you know, let's, let's get the, let's, uh, let's probably show some of these guys, their way out so we can make it happen you know um i don't know if this was i was trying to look at the top the staff ties right if there was anybody who had connections to oregon or connections to arizona where he's from or you know where it kind of happened but i didn't really see that 
Not so much. Um, I mean, I will say, I will say that Texas Tech, I think being a West Texas team, I think there's always going to be a natural connection to Arizona uh, just because I think that, uh, you know, I mean, it's not that it's as close, but you know, it's, it's, if you're going to travel right from Arizona, you're either going to pick, I think a Lubbock, uh, obviously in Oklahoma or California, right. Which I think Mm -hmm. less kids are are doing California in general. Um, And so I, I think that this, there is some sort of natural tie there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is interesting again. Now, I'd imagine at the same time, not that Matt Walls or any coach would go in and make a ton of promises by any means, because that's just bad for business. But, uh, but you know, I think that he probably was at least heavily suggested that he could be the starting quarterback next year, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you mentioned this is a kid who was a top 150 recruit out of high school. This is a kid who had the offers from Alabama's of the world. Like, you know, he had everybody, he had every opportunity in front of him. And so, um, and the other thing that you mentioned too, is that, look, let's say that Oregon didn't love, love him. You know, they thought that maybe he underperformed. This kid was a sophomore this year, right? right. <laughs> like, this kid has basically not played any football, um, yeah. you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. He also, I mean, the other thing to mention too, is that he had, obviously this terrible situation with COVID and in the Pac-12 where like, you know, we got to play six, seven games, right. And, and started mm-hmm. training camp in freaking September or whatever it was mm-hmm. like, this was not a normal situation. So like anybody who kind of watched maybe him at Oregon last year, where they won the, the Pac-12 championship, by the way, I feel like we haven't mentioned that. yet. <laughs> right. uh, you know, anybody watching, I think the situation at Oregon and thinking, okay, well, you know, he's not as finished a product as we want. Well, yeah, he's a, he was a sophomore this year. And so, the one thing that I'll say, the one thing that I will say is that Sonny Cumbie is as good of a quarterback recruiter as there is in America. And, and I truly believe that because you look at the context of TCU, right? Like he's not recruiting to Alabama. He was recruiting to TCU and now obviously recruiting to Texas Tech. Like he's done, I think, as good a job relative to where he is as anybody in America. The question to this point now <laughs> has been, what does he do with them? Yep. Right. I think that Max Duggan has made improvements, but clearly not what you'd hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, Kenny Hill, he improved, but you know, they, I don't think they got the most out of him. And like, before that, you're starting to talk about like, okay, you know, the Sean Robinson thing, right? Sean Robinson mm-hmm. didn't work out. Michael Collins got hurt. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of been a while since they, since that staff, you know, not just Sonny Cumbie, but also Doug Meacham kind of developed a really good quarterback. And so that's going to be the question now is, let's say that Tyler Shug is not a finished product walking through the door. Is Sonny Cumbie, is Matt Wells able to get the most out of him? And, and I, I think, again, like you mentioned, I think it's going to be a really good situation, but uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how it works itself out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, what I'm curious about is because I do kind of like, I think Kenny Hill's a good comparison for the situation mm-hmm. because, you know, one of my friends who's an Oregon, Oregon fan, you know, uh, I tweeted about this Tyler Shug news and he says, I hope he's able to refine his confidence. Right. Mm. And cause that was, he, he kind of hinted that that was kind of the biggest issue with him, which again, I think might be an Oregon thing because we heard these <laughs> same things about Justin Herbert coming yeah. out of Oregon. Um, but what were the things we were hearing about Kenny Hill, right? Like he didn't look like the same quarterback that he did in his debut, right. That he was making a lot of inconsistent mistakes. And I'm not saying he was perfect at TCU, but he certainly got his career back on track at TCU. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm wondering if that's all he needs is to just be pushed or steered in the right direction work, you know, cause TCU hasn't had a, uh, a season like they did uh, since Kenny Hill was behind center. Yeah. Right? He was the best quarterback they had since uh, Trevon Boykin. And then, but, but prior to that, probably Andy Dalton, right? Like 
he was a legitimately good quarterback for them. And I think that's the trajectory you kind of hope for with Tyler Shug, where it's like, okay, here's a guy who perhaps hit a wall. Let's give him a little change of scenery. And I think that's what Sonny Cumbie can help him most. Yeah, and, and I, I will say, I'm not saying by any means that Lubbock has low expectations, but I do think that he's going to have... You're not going to be expected to win a national title, right? Right, right. Oregon, you, you, Oregon was asking him to literally take the next step after right. Justin Herbert. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, you're going to have a lot of grace. I think you're going to get the opportunity to improve. I think you're going to get the opportunity uh, to thrive. I, I think that you also, I mean, look, Oregon is known for all their skill position talent, but Texas Tech has a hell of a wide receiver room right now. You know, mm-hmm. they've got a lot of talent over there. Um, and, and obviously, I think a system that should fit him pretty well. And the other thing that you hope for, and this was kind of the issue at the end of last year is you hope that they've developed their line enough to where they can kind of have that really good running game that you saw maybe more two years ago. So sure. if all of those things kind of come together, I mean, again, I think that this is a really good situation for Tyler Shug. And I think that he's going to have the opportunity to be really successful. And like you mentioned, I mean, I, I think that he has the opportunity by 2022, 2023 to be a legit NFL draft guy. And as long as you've got, you know, Baron Morton, as long as you're keeping them happy, right? I, I think that you clearly kind of have your next lineage. And again, every it's not going to go exactly according to plan because it never does. This is just, right. <laughs> this is not how this works. But I think that if you're Matt Wells, you know that you've got, I think, three really good players, uh, you know, in obviously Baron Morton, in Tyler Shug, and and I think also in Maverick McIver. And then you can throw the Henry Columbia and, and Donovan Smith into the mix too. I think you've got a good room. And mm. The other thing that I'll say too, and we can finish on this, is that, mm-hmm. you know, look, I think that you look nationally, the amount of teams that have a quarterback situation that they would not be willing to improve. I mean, it's very low, right? Like we, we talk yeah. about, okay, well, yeah, maybe they don't think that Maverick McIver's the guy. Well, like how many teams year to year are not playing with a guy who is quote unquote, the guy for them there, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. It's out of 130 teams, you're probably talking about like 80, right? right, right. <laughs> that, that don't have like quote unquote the guy at quarterback. It's it's just not that common. And um, you know, so again, what could end up happening is they could go into this spring and it turns out that Maverick McIver is the best there and, and he wins the job and he has a great career, right? Like we just don't mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, it's easy for us, you know, as as people on the outside, and obviously people who don't have to be able to say this is going to go like this, right? Because we don't have to go through the process. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see uh, how it gets handled. It's going to be interesting to see how Tyler Shug jumps in and, and fits into that system. It's obviously going to be interesting to see whether Maverick and Kyver can stay healthy because I think that's been the biggest thing. Affected. Right, yeah, he got, I mean, ever since his senior year. Right, right. He's been hurt almost every single year, which I think is at least the the first year, more of the, the Jet Duffy year. I think of that was more why he didn't get on the field last year. Again, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of factors, but mm-hmm. um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I, I wrote in, in the piece when he's, when, uh, when Shug committed that I do think that that Shug is the favorite to win the starting job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's the most talented uh, in terms of pure talent quarterback on the roster, but there's, there's a lot to be figured out. I mean, hell, Baron Morton could be that good right away. He could come up right. from what, what is he in three A, right. Or, or two AD one and uh, uh three i think i'm trying to think of where he's yeah maybe four I, actually eastland is okay yeah and so I'm, you know but he, he might come I'm from it's four yeah okay okay so he might come up from four right you know small <laughs> small uh high school football right and still have an opportunity to be really good as a true freshman it's rare but baron morton's nope, three, I, 
Okay. Lied. Okay. <laughs> three eighty two. Just checked. One of yeah, yeah, three eighty two. That's right. It's it's one of the high school football classifications. That's what we know for certain. It's, but you know, maybe has a chance to be really good right away. It's a big yeah. jump, but uh, but I think that he's that kind of talent too. So it'll be interesting, and and I one hope of- that. Yeah, and I just real quick, I hope that yeah. we have the opportunity to see that battle play out on the football field this spring. Oh yeah, God, please. Um, one thing that I did I did notice was, I mean, this is the second big quarterback get they've gotten since Matt Wells decided to give up the reins to his offense, right? Mm. Like this is you know they obviously Baron Morton was the big commit um, that they maintained when when they made the offensive coordinator change, and yeah. now they bring in somebody like Tyler Shug, who's you know. I doubt he commits to them if Yost is still there oh, if they're no. still running that offense. And no, so no, no. it shows the appeal of it. it I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, obviously Wells had to be skeptical of letting Yost go, right? That was his guy. And that was, that was the guy he's worked with his whole, his uh, head coaching career. But I mean, it's, he's already seeing the benefits, right? Uh, not even the field has, we haven't even taken the field yet. And he's already seen the benefits of what this offense does do to your recruiting, to your game planning, and to you know, to your the attractiveness of your of of your program, no question. And I think that again, Sonny Cumbie is as good a recruiter as there is in America. I, yep. I mean, I, I really and truly do mean that. I mean, to you don't get a kid like Justin Rogers to go to TC usually. You don't get a kid. Yeah, hell, you don't get you don't get uh, Sean Robinson out of high school, right? right? Sean Robinson was a legitimate good prospect coming out of DeSoto. Yeah, no question, no question. I mean, these were at the time, you know, it, it went like. Okay, Sean Robinson's the best, uh, the best quarterback commit that we've ever gotten. And then Justin Rogers is like, oh my God, this is like the 57th best kid in the entire country. He plays quarterback, right? right? This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen usually at, uh, at sort of the, the below blue blood schools. And so I think it is going to be fun to see whether, uh, whether he can kind of keep that up. And it'll be interesting too, because, you know, I do think that uh, from a, well, let, let me say it like this. Okay. I think that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of dinner tables in Lubbock last night where people were like, told you so, told you we got to run the air raid, told you we got to get people that way. This, this is what we're known for. What, what yeah. were you doing trying to run the spread nonsense, even though obviously it, it didn't actually in practice look super different. But, uh, right. but you know, I, I do think it's going to be interesting now. You know, you kind of move back to this. I'm curious also whether, uh, whether this kind of, I guess, gives Matt Wells a second chance, right? Now that he's yeah. kind of going back to this and saying, we're going to take the best of what I do and we're going to take the best of what Texas Tech has been and try to mix it together a little bit. And look, <laughs> we haven't had a single practice. We haven't played a single game, but it's off to a good start so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, like I mentioned, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell, Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Ish, what are you working on these days? Uh, we are putting some stuff together for basketball, hoping to have more to announce on that soon. Uh, one thing I can't, I can kind of hint at is we are putting together a 40 under 40, similar yes. to what we do for the bas- for the football magazine. Um, I'm putting that together right now with some help of Corey Hogue as well uh, for a small school, of course. Uh, and yeah, I'm about to get started on my football stuff because I just got my confirmed assignments from Greg. Uh, God help us all. <laughs> God help us all. Well, you can check out on textfootball.com. Uh, I have a series that's still going on. It's our state of the program series. And so I'm going through every single program in the state of Texas and uh, and sort of just, again, writing a state of the program, I guess is the only good way to say that. And so today we released Rice. I know that we've released Houston. Uh, we released Texas Tech, Baylor, UTEP, uh, North Texas, 
and Texas State. I think that those are all the ones that we released so far. And then, uh, so we'll have the rest coming up in the next week or two as well. So make sure and check that out. It's it's pretty in depth. Uh, each of them takes me a, a decent amount of time. So I really would appreciate if you check them out. So uh, again, you can find all of that at textfootball.com. But for Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan Jiraj. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. And we will talk to you guys again next week.